watch cartoons We'll take a look back at where we've been So let's hop into our time machine Hello and welcome to another episode of Cartoon Time Machine. I am Scarlett. I'm Katie. We're your animates and today we are continuing our historical review of the great eras of animation uh, with the Renaissance age of animation. Uh, this is the period uh, comprising the 1980s to the 1990s. Uh, previously we had discussed uh, the 70s to the early 80s uh, or sorry, the late 50s to the early 80s, which was considered by many to be the dark age of animation, uh, mostly in, in comparison to this age, uh, which is considered to be uh, when the artistic and commercial uh, aspects of the, of the medium were really at their peak. Um, there are a lot of, lot of big, big names come out of this era. Uh, a lot of films and television shows that we know and love today uh, are from this era, but Maybe it doesn't hold up as much, Katie. Maybe we'll, uh, I, I, yeah, I know, but we, we were pleasantly <laughs> surprised talking about the Dark Age with how much of that supposedly quote-unquote bad animation turns out to be some of our favorites. So let, let's dive into the, to the Renaissance era and find out uh, if it's all what it's cracked up to be. Uh, Katie, I'll show this to you. Would you prefer we, we start with, an, uh, with uh, animated films or animated television? Ooh, that's a great question. I wish I had a coin to flip. Um, it really, with this era, it really does, uh, you know, both mediums were really, it's, it's, people often refer to like the Disney Renaissance, uh, and sometimes the Warner Brothers Renaissance in terms of the films. Um, but as, as frequently happens, TV animation, uh, kind of gets, gets pushed aside. Uh, but this was certainly a golden age for, for television animation, uh, in its own right. So why don't we let you have your fun in film animation? All right, we'll start with film, and then we'll go to then we'll go to TV. Um, the, so we'll we'll start we'll start with the with the early eighties, uh, and in many ways we must start with Fox and the Hound. Uh, Katie, do you ever see Fox and the Hound? I genuinely don't know. <laughs> this, I this is... don't think I have. Like, here's the problem: is we're going to talk about a lot of films, and if you bring up Disney, the chance that I've seen Disney's eighties and nineties things is low. Well, luckily, it's low with most Disney films, actually. Let's reiterate that. Luckily, I, I bring up uh, Fox and the Hound uh, not just as sort of the the start of the '80s Disney movies, which it was. It was the first animated Disney movie of the 1980s, coming out in 1981. Um, but it is surprisingly had sent a lot of shockwaves through the industry as a whole. Um, so, Fo Fox and the Hound uh, was a, is kind of a, a childhood favorite of mine. Um, I, I watched it quite a bit. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and it, we, but mostly because it kind of destroyed me emotionally. Um, you know, you know how kids are kind of a, kind of, kind of a glutton for punishment in that way. I would just rewatch Fox and the Hound over and over and I would just sob at the end. Uh, cause the first half is so adorable. It's like this little Fox buddy and his, his little dog friend and they, they go off and have rollicking adventures in the forest. Uh, and it's, it, they had like shenanigans and it's fun. Um, but then, of course, the fox and the hound grow up, and they discover they have to be enemies. And it, there's, I think, there's something very timeless about it. I think, you know, coming off of an era like we discussed in the '70s, where Disney animated films were kind of, uh, you know, somewhat less ambitious. I think is fair to say. Uh, I think both in animation style 
Um, and I think also a little more cynical. Uh, I think they definitely lost some of that uh, fairy tale whimsy, uh, which of the last of the fairy tales that they had done uh, was Sleeping Beauty. Uh, and then you got, you know, your your Robin Hoods, your Jungle Books, your 101 Dalmatians, which generally had... I accidentally opened sign on my phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was trying to close it and reopened it because, of course... Stop playing with your phone while we're broadcasting. I was trying to look up something. I'm leaving this in. I'm not editing this part out. I'm, I'm going to shame you. That's fair. I was trying to do something and it went horribly if wrong. If it's all right with you, I'll continue talking about the historical significance of Fox and the Hound. Um, no. But- <laughs> Uh, but it was it was something of a I think the the closest uh, comparison with Fox and the Hand really is Bambi, uh, which at that point mm-hmm. was about forty years old. Um, you know, in in that it's a it's a sort of nature fable. It focuses a lot on the the natural beauty of the forest, um, and you know, not it's still not quite in the same way. You still see a little bit of the the animation uh, downturn that we'd been seeing through a lot of the Dark Age. Um, it's not it's not quite on that level, but I think I think in many ways it is an improvement. Um, and a lot of people, I think, like me, uh, see it very fondly. Um, but one person who does not uh, see Fox and the Hound terribly fondly uh, is one Don Bluth, uh, who was, I believe, uncredited on the film. Um, and uh, had, he, had, he had been working at Disney for a very long time. And he and a bunch of other animators who worked on the project uh, basically seceded uh, from Disney, decided that they they didn't like the way Disney was being run, which as we outlined in the in the uh, our previous episode about the dark age of animation, uh, was it was it was a little bit uh, creatively in the slums. Uh, Disney had died uh, in the early 70s and there wasn't uh, that same energy uh, that the animation industry had. Um, so if you if you know who Don Bluth is, um, this is a very exciting time in our animation history uh, because Don Bluth would go on to make some of the greatest films, uh, not just anime, some of the greatest films of the 1980s, um, many of which were a complete antithesis uh, to what Disney's standard form was. Uh, this is where you get films like The Secret of Nim, The Land Before Time, um, American Tale, which another one of my absolute favorites, um, and All Dogs Go to Heaven. Um, all of these movies have in common that Fox and the Hound ability to absolutely destroy me emotionally. Uh, Katie, were you a, a Don Bluth kid at all? No. <laughs> well, they, if, you, if you see any of them as an adult, they, they will still get you. Uh, my, my one on that that I never actually saw as a kid uh, is Land Before Time, um, because I was a Land Before Time sequels kid, uh, don't, don't hate me, but I saw like most of the sequels, uh, before I saw the original Land Before Time, which I don't think I saw until I was like in a high school. Um, but I really liked the sequels. The sequels were fun. Um, and Land Before Time, when I finally did see it, was a little bit of a disappointment to me. I think just because it had been very hyped, but of those, of those 90s, uh, Don Bluth films, like I said, like Secret of Nim, uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, American Tale, uh, those, those I think are really the, the much more impressive, both visually, uh, and story, story-wise. Uh, Secret Name, especially, I feel like was one that I didn't appreciate as much as a kid, um, but going back on it, the animation is insane. Um, I love that it has a strong female character as the lead, who is also a mother, which is a really 
rare thing in a children's movie uh in any movie really to have a mother be your protagonist uh usually you know mothers are not the focus of movies in general uh once a woman hits a certain age uh she's ra- rarely considered a protagonist material um and it's kind of fun that even though she's a mouse uh mrs brisby is is still uh the the main character and she's strong and you really care about her plight to to save her her little son and her home um i've just spent this whole time trying to figure out the actual pronunciation of the film if it's the secret of nim or the secret of neve as in if you go with irish n-i-m-h is a name and it's pronounced neve well it's not the secret of neve because it stands for a national institute of mental health Mm -hmm. um because they uh they they they're doing doing experiments on, on mice um so it's uh it's it's a good film uh it's a really good film uh Another mouse-related movie is American Tale, which we saw at least twice a year growing up in uh, Hebrew school uh, because it, it has, it's sort of an allegorical uh, escaping of the Nazis slash the Russian pogrom. Um, so that's at least what they told us, which is definitely there. I'm not, I don't think it was a reach. Um, and then I, I sort of, it's actually a really, I think, an interesting uh, take on the American dream. Uh, of course, it's called an American Tale. Um, there's a really fun, you know, mature idea that, you know, sort of challenged, certainly for me as a kid, the idea that, you know, America is, is the greatest country in the world, because the, the premise is that the, the mice are escaping Europe, where there's cats who are chasing them out, you know, a la every, every country and the Jews in the, in the early 20th century. Um, and they, they, they sing happily uh, that there are no cats in America. And it's a really adorable. Just even saying the words no cats in America, the song is now stuck in my head. It's like a ludicrously catchy song about how there's no cats in America. Uh, and then, of course, they show up in America and surprise, there's cats everywhere, um, which I think is just, you know, another, again, a good, a good way to tell kids that, you know, I don't care what you've been told in school you know, America in a lot of ways is, is better than most other countries. Um, and, and there is, oper- you know, they, the mice are able to fight back against the cats in America in the way that they weren't able to do in their home countries. And ultimately America is still, it's not like the movie is saying that America is not a, a great place to be. Like it's still, you know, shown as being better than the alternative, but it certainly questions the idea that America is, is free from hate and free from persecution. And the mice actually have to fight back and claim America as their own home, um, which I, I, and I, I swear I'm not reading that deeply into this. It's not like I'm being, I'm being like, oh, I'm going to do like real film critical analysis of this. Like that's the basic premise of the movie. They call it an American tale for a reason. Like they, they're, they're, Don Bluth was very intentional about this. Uh, and I love him for that. Like all, all of those movies I mentioned um, from this era in the 80s, uh, really take their audience seriously. Like this, part of the reason that that Don Bluth supposedly left Disney is that he felt that they'd, they'd sort of become a little bit toothless and that they weren't really trying to expand the medium anymore. And they were just kind of put putting out, you know, kind of safe cash grabby type uh, films, which, you know, whether you buy it, like I still love Fox and the Hound. I don't, I don't think that falls into that category, but you can certainly see the the contrast to what Disney was doing at the time with what Don Bluth was and the way he was changing what it meant to be an animated film um and and not and not just for him I think you know as as we'll go through the rest of this era I think you can see that Don Bluth influence on films up to the current day I think you know the when you see the contrast between the films that we have today versus what was happening in the 60s and 70s uh prior to Don Bluth 
uh, you really see a, a difference in the level of uh, emotional complexity, character development, serious themes. Uh, and I, I, I think it, it's, it's no small part to, to Don Bluth really redefining what the medium of animation was capable of. So fi final plug before, before I move on, Don Bluth films the 80s, all great. Uh, and a little later on, we'll talk about what he was up to in the 90s, which something happened, my dude. <laughs> but for now, uh, I, let's finish up with what, what Disney was doing, because um, they were also, you know, doing some interesting things. Uh, right after Fox and the Hound, uh, they moved on to, interestingly, a, a darker, almost Bluthian project, uh, The Black Cauldron, uh, which pretty thoroughly almost killed Disney animation. Uh, was not a critical success, was not a commercial success, uh, and just about nobody liked it. Uh, no one likes it today, no one really liked it then. Um, it's, it, it's, it's just a, a very strange, it's a very strange film. Uh, Katie, have you, have you seen Black, Black Cauldron? No. I, I'm not, I'm not surprised, not that This is gonna be a recurring theme. <laughs> I, I, this this was one that like I absolutely don't blame you for and you don't need to see um, and listeners out there unless you're curious to see arguably the worst Disney movie ever made uh, well you know it's not it's not home on the range it's they they there was more effort put into it it was just sort of a, a stunning misfire they, they I I guess at some point they thought like let's try going real dark um, but they didn't they didn't have they had the darkness of a Bluth film without the without the, the charm of, of his movies and the, the, the sweet sincerity of the characters. Uh, none of the characters in Black Cauldron are terribly memorable. Uh, the villain, the Horned King, is certainly terrifying in his, his design, um, but not a particularly charismatic or memorable villain. Um, you know, and certainly not in the way that later Disney villains would be and, and earlier ones. I mean, he's not Melissa, he's not Maleficent. He's not even Chernabog uh, from Fantasia. Like, I feel like that's the closest comparison um, in terms of terrifying devil looking uh, villains. But like even Chernabog, just with the way he's animated in that brief sequence, like you get more personality from him. Um, so that pretty, pretty much almost kills the studio. Um, and they, the, 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 the story is they basically, the animation studio had like one last shot to do anything, to, to do anything before they were, they were going to get absolutely shut down. Um, and luckily for them, uh, the next film they made after uh, Black Cauldron was Great Mouse Detective. Uh, another one that I'm going to assume, Katie, you have not seen? No. <laughs> the, this one I think you would enjoy. This is... You know, this, as I'm saying, so I'm realizing there's a lot of there's a lot of mouse films happening in this in this era. Like I think Secret of Nim, American Tale, and Great Mouse Detective all came out within like a few years of each other. Um, actually, I think Great Mouse Detective might have come out the same year uh, as as American Tale. What year was American Tale? Um, it was yeah, 80, 86 and uh, and eighty six. Yeah, same 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 year. Uh, you got to wonder if there was maybe a little bit of of competing between studios happening. Like let's let's see if our our mouse films will compete. Uh, although they're very different in tone. Uh, Great Mouse Detective is kind of a pure comedy. Um, it's pretty fun. It's it's essentially a Sherlock Holmes story uh, told with mice. Um, the villain is played by Vincent Price. Uh, known by, by many Tim Burton fans as the OG Tim Burton and star of many, many horror movies of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, 
and he's having fun with it. Like he is, he's got that wonderfully villainous voice and he's just chewing the scenery and delighting and playing an evil mouse character. Uh, it's great. He's delightful. Um, it's also pretty gay. Um, I, I don't know how intentional any of this was. I don't want to give any credit or lack of credit to anyone, but the relationship he seems to have with the, the main, the, the, the great mouse detective, uh, who is Basil of Baker Street, uh, who, who lives inside Sherlock Holmes's walls, um, they, they have like a history, like, like in the context of the movie, it's like a, a villain hero, Moriarty Sherlock kind of thing. Um, but like, the way the way Vincent Price talks about him is very much like a jealous ex doing doing some petty stuff to mess with his ex boyfriend. Um, it's it's pretty great. I'm I'm very here for it. Uh, he gets a really good villain song too. Um, it's it's uh, it's I think I believe it's called like my my great criminal brain, which is just literally him talking about all the evil horrible things he's done, but how his new plan is going to be even more evil and horrible. Um, I, I miss this kind of Disney villain, honestly. I think even later, like Renaissance Disney villains, they were not so much in this, just I'm going to be evil for the sake of being evil, like kind of that Maleficent vibe almost. Like I, I miss Disney villains who are allowed to be pure evil. Like all the modern Disney villains, especially all have to be like sympathetic characters who are good guys until the third act and then they're evil. I, I don't know. I kind of hope we're, I, ho- I hope we, uh, we move past that a little bit, uh, Encanto comes out next week. By the time this this comes out, I'm sure it will it will already have been long out. Um, but I, I haven't seen any sign of a villain in that movie. I have a feeling it if, if it has a villain, it might be one of those twist villains, um, which is a shame because Radigan in Great Mouse Detective, I think, is an example of a uh, a Disney of Disney villain there trying to be evil uh, for all the best reasons. Um, but the important thing for our history our history lesson uh, is that Great Mouse Detective did really well and pretty much saved the studio. Um, a lot of, I see a lot of people frequently uh, attribute that to Little Mermaid uh, a few years later. Uh, and while that absolutely had a huge impact on keeping the studio alive and especially bringing back uh, that sort of classic uh, fair, uh, fairy tale story and really sparking what is known as the Disney Renaissance as opposed to the Renaissance era as a whole, which includes the 80s. Um, a Great Mouse Detective, I feel like doesn't get enough credit because if it had flopped like Black Cauldron had flopped, uh, Little Mermaid could never have happened. It just, it wouldn't have. Um, so credit credit where credit is due, Great Mouse Detective, and then slightly less credit, but still credit to Oliver and Company the following year, uh, which sort of built on that same formula of just sort of doing wacky fun times. They got Billy Joel to do a song. Um, I, I've seen Oliver and Company many years ago. Katie, you, no? It, again, I don't think it was, this one is terribly worth it. Um, I don't remember loving it as a kid. I remember as a kid, I really, I was really, I was a theater kid as a, as a young kid. I had the soundtrack to Oliver the musical. Uh, and I really, and I, I'd never seen Oliver the musical. I don't even know if I'd seen the movie, um, but I pieced it together from listening to the soundtrack and I really liked the plot of Oliver. Uh, and I remember even as a kid being like seeing Oliver and company and thinking like, oh, they, they, ru- they butchered the story. This, this isn't my Oliver twist. Um, I, I know, I know. I was a little, I was a little, nerd. I, not even a nerd. I was just a snob. Um, I, I should probably rewatch it at some point. Um, Oliver and Company, I'm sure is, is fine. It was really financially successful. It made, it made a lot more money than uh, Great Mouse Detective did, although it had a larger budget because they brought in a lot more celebrity voice actors, uh, Billy Joel being the bigger one. Um, 
And then, of course, that then, to finish up, as I was saying, our, our 1980s in film, um, brings us to The Little Mermaid, as I alluded to previously. Uh, the film that brought Disney back into the business of making Disney princess movies, fairy tale movies, big, large scale epic stories. Uh, and this is where I take a brief interlude to talk about how Howard Ashman single handedly brought the Disney company into a new era. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Howard Ashman is the lyricist behind uh, Little Mermaid and also Beauty and the Beast and certain parts of Aladdin. Um, they, when, when Disney was, was putting Little Mermaid into production, they pretty much, uh, for, one of the first things they did was they got together Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, who were uh, riding the high of, of a success of the Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, and they were super involved with the story process of Little Mermaid. The songs were written uh, pretty much simultaneously too and often before the rest of the script. Uh, and that was, that was a huge part of how the Little Mermaid was created around that songs, which is why it flows so nicely as a musical. Um, and so similarly, so does uh, Beauty and the Beast and somewhat less so, but still still pretty good uh, Aladdin. Um, and and it's, you know, it's a, it's a real shame. Um, unfortunately, Howard Ashman died uh, before Beauty and the Beast even came out uh, from AIDS, which is horrible. And it really makes you think that if he'd been around longer, there might've been even more Beauty and the Beast level, Little Mermaid level uh, films of the Renaissance era, which is just why we can't have nice things. Uh, the world is not fair. Um, what, what do you think of Beauty and the Beast, Kate? I'm sure you've seen this one. Parts? Okay. <laughs> what do you think of the parts that you've seen, Katie? I don't remember. All right, fair. I, 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 my opinions of on Little Mermaid has kind of shifted over the years. Um, it's, I, I didn't really like it as a kid because I was a little bit more tomboyish and Little Mermaid is a little more on the girlier end of, uh, of, of these Renaissance films. Um, and she, the Ariel as a character is not super strong. She doesn't really have that interesting of a character arc. She just kind of wants a man makes a deal with the witch to get the man and then at the end gets the man like it's not you know she doesn't really have a big growth moment uh the same way that a lot of other disney protagonists do and as a kid i remember finding her just very annoying um it's my father's favorite disney film that's okay. not. all right you know what if your father we, we like your father if your father loves it that that's super and, and the music is great uh to talk that's about talk about villains and villain songs one of my absolute favorite villain songs is poor unfortunate souls uh, Ursula is also just a great Disney villain. Uh, some of that is, again, some Howard Ashman influence. She is based on uh, famous drag queen Divine, um, and she really gives a drag performance uh, in, in her, the, her vocal uh, vocalizations and also a lot of the, you know, kind of, her, her performance is like a little bit sexy in, in Poor Unfortunate Soul. She's not a sexy design uh, in the conventional sense. You know, she's a, she's a you know, bigger woman, older woman, um, and yet she, she moves and acts with the confidence of someone who is more conventionally beautiful, which is, of course, a, a big part of drag performance is sort of owning your, your look, even if it's not conventional. Um, and, and Little Mermaid does that in, in wonderful ways. Uh, Poor Unfortunate Soul, just a great, great villain song. Uh, I love that it's one of those villain songs that like really truly moves along the plot. I feel like a lot of movies uh, villain songs just kind of are, are there to be like, let's introduce our villain and they're super evil. Um, but Poor Unfortunate Souls basically 
uh, act as as the, the the inciting incident of the well, I guess the inciting incident necessarily is, is earlier, but the, the 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 first big climax of the film, shall we say, all takes place in song. Uh, it's also a reason I like, you know, this is much later down the line, but it's a reason I love uh, Friends on the Other Side uh, in Princess and the Frog. It's a similar Poor Unfortunate Souls, clearly it's very inspired by Poor Unfortunate Souls with a similar similar premise of a spell being cast. Um, but I like a good old villain song that actually impacts the plot. And that's big Howard Ashman. Uh, rest in peace, Howard Ashman. You brilliant, brilliant man. Thank you for giving us so much great Disney content. Um, so that's the that's the 80s. Uh, we 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 move on now uh, into into what was going on in the 90s, uh, which is everything. All the Disney movies. Oh my God! This this was basically every year Disney putting out hit after hit after hit. This is all the all the great movies of our childhood: uh, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, Hercules, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Katie is just sh- shaking the head like crazy. Have you seen any of those movies? I got one of them. One, which one? Which one? I have seen Hercules in its entirety. That was not the one I was guessing you've seen. Have you seen The Lion King? I've seen half of it. Oh boy! Oh boy, man. Uh, have you seen Tarzan? No. Mulan. No. You'd see Mulan. You'd like Mulan. Um, yeah, I guess that, I guess that's kind of, that, that's that's all that. I, I definitely not Hunchback, right? No. Well, I mean, the parts. That's one of my that's one of my favorites. Uh, and you know, I, I, we're not going to go into into as much detail with these '90s movies, just because, with the exception of Katie, uh, most most of you have at, at home have already seen most, if not all, of these movies. Um, you know, no, this is just exposing myself. Yeah, you know what? This was your idea, by the way, to do for those of you at home who think that who think that Scarlet shanghaied uh, Katie into the, into this particular uh, uh, series of episodes. The heiress was your idea. No, it was totally your idea. It was your idea. Oh no, it was yours. We'll find the receipts later. Okay, I'm I'm less confident now because you sound very confident, but I'm pretty sure the heiress was your idea. You love history. All right, Keep well, talking. I'm finding the receipts. Katie is digging up the receipts, and and will will probably will probably accuse me live on podcast. Um, but uh, it, it, other than that, uh, there you know the, some of the ups and downs that happened uh, over the course of the of the Disney Renaissance here with these these classic '90s movies. Um, of course, obviously the loss of Howard Ashman uh, right before the release of Beauty and the Beast is su- such a blow. Um, had a Howard Ashman uh, stayed around longer, uh, he would have had a more, uh, he would have had a larger role in Aladdin. Uh, as it is, uh, he wrote the songs that the genie sings, uh, Arabian Nights, uh, Friend Like Me, and Prince Ali, um, which are, uh, in my opinion, the best songs in the in the movie. Uh, I'm not a, not a huge fan of Whole New World. Uh, I know that I'm I'm kind of uh, in the in the uh, in the minority on that. I think a lot of people really like that as a romance song, but never, never really, uh, ne- never really stuck with me. Uh, and a lot of those songs that Howard Ashman did write, uh, were reworked quite a bit. So a lot of them, uh, a lot of them don't, don't stand, uh, don't, don't, don't stand as his, he originally wrote them. Uh, I heard that some of the songs that he did write for Aladdin that were then later cut when the studio, uh, retooled a lot of the ideas in the movie, uh, have, are, are, uh, able to be viewed as part of the Broadway musical. Um, so I, re- I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's great. And if you have the opportunity to check it out, you should, and then maybe let me know how it is and maybe I'll get to see it at some point. Um, but yeah, Aladdin did go through a lot of, uh, creative changes, uh, 
the Aladdin character in particular uh, sort of started off as a much younger character. Uh, and then the studio heads decided that they wanted to make him more of a cool, suave Tom Cruise type, which is what he ended up being. Uh, he had a living mother in the original uh, treatment, uh, which would have definitely changed the dynamic uh, quite a bit. Um, but Aladdin's still a great movie uh, in no small part due to Robin Williams, who is just absolutely owns that movie. It's, you know, it's his movie, essentially. As soon as, there's a lot of great aspects of Aladdin. I love it a lot, but it is it is Robin Williams as the genie that really uh, sets it apart. Uh, and it's a great movie. Um, they Disney kind of screwed Robin Williams over quite a bit on it. Uh, Robin Williams said that he didn't want his uh, image used in promotional materials because, you know, he was a really wholesome guy and didn't like the idea of like Disney pushing Happy Meal toys on kids essentially. And then they did. So uh, that, that sort of formed quite the rift uh, that, that uh, Robin was not pleased with. Um, but then uh, after Aladdin, uh, some, so, some, some more uh, shaky uh, aspects of the Disney Renaissance came about. Um, Pocahontas and Lion King were in production at the same time. At the time, Disney Company thought that Pocahontas would be more successful, uh, and a lot of the animators uh, who were on Lion King sort of felt like they were on the B project. Um, but then joke, jokes on them, uh, because Pocahontas is generally not terribly well received critically, although it was a, a modest financial success. Uh, and Lion King uh, becomes one of the highest grossing uh, animated movies of all time. I think I think it topped the charts when it, when it came out. I think it was the highest grossing animated movie of all time. Uh, and then it was again, because the 2019 version is currently the highest grossing animated film of all time. So Lion King tops it twice. Uh, so sorry, all the, all the animators who tried to get onto Pocahontas and avoid Lion King. Uh, because Lion King is fantastic. Uh, I know, I, I feel like Lion King is praised to the point of people thinking it's overrated, um, which it might be true, but the only way it becomes overrated is when people say it's literally the greatest thing that was ever made. Because uh, I think it is still definitely, you know, top five animated movies for me. It's just, it's beautiful, sweeping animation. Uh, it's a simple story. Obviously it's based on uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet, but you know, the, the reason you pick one of the greatest stories of all time is that it, it really continues to resonate. Um, great villain song, which as we've established for me is a, is a huge part of, uh, of making, uh, making a movie uh, really stand out. Um, so it, it's all around very, very good. I think people, people uh, I think it's fashionable to say that Lion King isn't a great movie, but you're, 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 you might be kidding yourselves. It's, it's a great movie. Um, uh, then there, there's Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, which I adore. I think it's, you know, another one of those uh, frequently overlooked movies, um, which, you know, in some ways fair, uh, but also it, it, it has a lot, there's a lot to it. There's, you know, it, the, the, the gargoyles certainly make it worse, uh, but if you haven't seen it, which I assume, Katie, like you said, you, ha you have not uh, seen this one, uh, but it is great. It's, it's got some really great music uh, in particular. Um, uh, Disney also put out Hercules, not a favorite of mine. Um, Mulan, which is a favorite of mine. Uh, we don't talk about the live action film in this house, um, but you know, another a, a sort of a, a different look at the typical Disney princess instead with one who just kicks absolute butt and we love that for her. Uh, and then the last of the, the 2D animated Disney Animation Studios, Disney Renaissance films, uh, was Tarzan in 1999. Um, 
yeah, another one that's not a huge favorite of mine, but boy, do I love the animation in that movie. Um, you know, that's kind of the nicest thing I can say for it because I don't terribly care for the characters, the plot, certainly not the villain who doesn't get a villain song. No one gets a song in this movie. It's all Phil Collins uh, background music the whole time. No one, no one gets a typical sweeping, I want Disney song. Um, it's the least, it's the least Howard Ashman of the Renaissance movies, I think is fair to say. Um, it's, it's the one that has the least like lyrical story moving forward Broadway style songs, uh, which I generally really enjoy. So that's what makes Tarzan one of my least rewatched uh, Disney movies. Um, so that's, so that's all, like I said, I alluded to, that's all what's going on uh, with the uh, 2D animation studios but there's a new star rising in the north, and that is Pixar. I know this one. Candy knows this one. Do you want you want to talk about Pixar? I've been talking a lot. You want to you you no, want to? I'm enjoying you talking. Oh boy, I God, I'm gonna need like a glass of water. This is a lot of talking. <laughs> a bit off more than we could chew. This should have been a two parter. This is it a lot. Might of, be a two parter. We point. haven't even started TV yet. Oh my god. I thank think you, we might be cutting this. Viewers into- or listeners who are still listening to this. Oh my god. I think we might cut this into two parts. I'm saying live and say we'll do TV animation next time. We might. We might have to do that. We might have to prepare to do that. And yes, if you are listening, if you are listening to us. We are, we are doing this live. We are making the cut live. Um, and in any case, we'll, we'll finish up with, with, with film. We still have to do a non-Disney film. Yeah, we um, have a we, lot. <laughs> we got a lot to go. We got to keep going through. Um, we'll just skip The Nightmare Before Christmas, which also came out in this time in his stop motion. So haven't, I'm going to do stop motion. I just did the 2D animated ones first, okay? Fair. You think I'm not going to talk about Nightmare Before Christmas? You, 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 do, you do me wrong. You do me wrong. Good, I need some films I can talk about here. Okay, well, P- Pixar. The, yeah. the there there are, luckily there's only uh, there's only three of them that will that uh, are come out in the '90s from Pixar. Uh, they've been making a lot of uh, short films. They've been making some uh, films for uh, for for commercials. They've been producing uh, CG work for other movies. Uh, you can see in the background of certain. Uh, sci-fi movies of the 80s uh, there's their cool cg models show up there um it's it, it they, they they sort of become that that rising star and they their goal uh going into the 90s is to somehow create the first feature-length cg animated film uh and they succeed uh they they under under the direction of steve jobs uh they pull together uh toy story in uh, 1995 uh, and really revolutionized the animation industry forever um, in, in possibly the, the single most significant animated film since really Snow White. Um, just completely changes the scope of the industry. Uh, beyond just being a technological marvel, it is also a great movie. I think that's kind of overlooked sometimes that you know it's almost taken for granted that it was such a good story. Um, but it, it really, it really didn't have to be, you know. I it was sort of gonna be probably very successful regardless, just because of the quality of the animation and the fact that no one had ever seen it before. Um, but real kudos to everyone at Pixar for really trying to also make it a great movie and one of one of the greatest still. You know, I think you know it's been you know twenty five years and counting a little more even uh, since since Pixar began in ninety five, uh, and many people still consider toy, the first Toy Story film. Uh, to be one of the one of the greats one you know a lot of people it's still their favorite um and and that makes sense you know it's great great story great voice acting from from tom hanks and tim allen 
um and it's it's a it's a really a memorable film uh, I was actually I was at a, a Disneyland for their for their Halloween celebration uh and one of the one of the when they had they had you know different villains who were, were doing things that uh, you know scare kids and whatever uh, and give you candy uh and one of them was Sid from Toy Story uh and that I think really reminded me in that moment of what a great villain Sid is uh another thing that I think Pixar films are generally a little weaker on uh is the villain uh, they don't quite they don't quite you know match the the villain the villainy scope that a lot of the the other renaissance 90s films were doing uh but sid is a great menacing villain you know even just for being a child uh you get the the personality that comes through with him especially considering that the human animation is not great in toy story like it is real real rough uh you know there's a reason they chose toys to be their protagonists in 95 um, and that's because, you know, plastic is much easier to animate than skin. Uh, and of course, it wouldn't take long for Pixar to master human animation. Um, you know, really only a few short years later, we'd get films like The Incredibles that show the that quality Pixar can do with, with humans. And now, of course, you know, you see every single strand of hair on a, on a Pixar human character, and it's almost uncanny at a certain point. Um, but in the 90s, it wasn't really quite there yet. But even so, even with the technological limitations, Sid is a, is a great villain. Do uh, you have anything else to add about Toy Story, Katie? Uh, God, the toys are so creepy. The, the Frankenstein toys still stick with me to this day. Freaky stuff there. Yeah, when they like come out of the shadows and are like lurching towards Buzz and Woody, it's, it's, it's freaky. It's freaky stuff. Um, it's my security blanket of a film though. It is. It, I mean, it really it is. It just, it makes you feel and I mean, the yeah. other day I was talking to my dad. He's like, well, if you think you have Tom Hanks' best roles, you really got, you got to put Woody into the mix. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. He also watched the the Buzz trailer and had to take a second and go, is this animation real life? Yeah, the Lightyear trailer definitely uh, does blur. I mean, when you see the Lightyear trailer compared to Toy Story, it is as good as Toy Story looks. And I really, you know, besides the humans, Toy Story holds up uh, animation wise. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's some, you know, things you look at and are like, mm, that, you know, that doesn't fully, that, that doesn't move normally. Um, but overall Toy Story super holds up. Um, and, Pixar, uh, though I'm sad it's with Disney. I can always support Pixar because they really have always pushed the bounds. At least in this era, they were not Disney. They were not Disney. At this they were distributed point. by Disney, but they were not. They were not Disney owned yet. Mm -hmm. That would that would happen a few years later. Um, and at least Disney, I think, is still giving them a decent amount of creative liberty. Oh, absolutely. They're just so. not not letting them have theatrical runs. <laughs> they they will. They will. They, they that was just a pandemic thing. Hopefully. I know. I, was say, I know. I think there were people at Pixar who were not happy that Soul and Luca did, weren't even given like the pre, the premiere treatment, and were just kind of thrown out there, despite the fact that they each took so many years and so much money to make. Um, it's kind of a shame, but we're not talking about Two that. Two films I still haven't seen yet. Um, I, think I think. I think. I think. Oh, yeah. Luca. Um, so that that's uh, Toy Story. Next came out A Bug's Life. Any thoughts on Bug's Life? I've seen it many times. Do I remember a lot about it? No. Yeah, that's the problem with Do I like the locusts? No. They're crickets. Or oh, grass they're, cr they're grasshoppers. No, I, I think they're grasshoppers. What I think locusts and grasshoppers are the same dang thing. They are grasshoppers. Yeah, 
I'm not our, a fan of bugs life. People. Our grasshoppers and Lucas Layton. We don't info check before we record. I, they might be. I, I They're closely them. related insects belonging to the same family. Well, either way, they both get a bad rap, I think, in general. Uh, and, you know, obviously, we'll, there's another film we'll talk about locusts shortly. Um, but <laughs> you'll see. You'll see. It's a, it's a, it's a, we're, like, planting the seeds now. And I'm going to, we'll let those seeds grow later. Uh, that but, yeah, was but, definitely true. <laughs> Keep going. But, but Bugs Life, I think, kind of met. I think it might be, if not the weakest, certainly one of the weakest uh, Pixar movies. We know what the worst is. I, I, I know. No one likes no one likes Cars 2. And Cars 3. This is the part where I I mentioned that Cars 3 is my favorite of the Cars movies. Oh, right. <laughs> I don't think I saw it's, Cars 3, to be fair. It's not good. I just hate the other Cars movies a lot more. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's like, it's a participation trophy for Cars 3. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. You didn't uh, grow up with a like, younger brother who was obsessed with car, like toy cars around the time the Cars franchise came out. There are a lot of Cars toys in the house. Lot, lot of, lot, 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 lot of, lot of forced Cars watching there. Yeah, so I pity you. Um, but for the '90s, uh, Bugs Life, I think, is is a pretty a pretty meh film, and it you know it was it did it was not the critical darling uh, that Toy Story was. You know, once it, it's hard to follow up on the success of Toy Story, admittedly, um, and they they definitely didn't really impress with Bugs Life. Um, I it's not really a movie I have any interest in like rewatching. I watched it a little bit as a kid. Uh, I had the, I had the 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 cassette tape, uh, reading of the book on tape, basically of it. I don't know. It was whenever I went on car rides, my grandparents they had this one cassette tape of A Bug's Life that they would just play. So, I I don't know. It's not it's not great. Um, but in terms of following up on Toy Story, what better way to follow up on Toy Story than with Toy Story Two? My favorite of the Toy Story movies. And yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least we're in some agreement on that. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about Toy Story uh, 2, Katie? It makes me want to cry. <laughs> and that's not easy with you. No, no, but it does. It's got some sad stuff in it. When she loved me. <laughs> it's agonizing. That's painful. It also possibly has the single saddest Disney song. Also has maybe one of my favorite animated sequences in all of animation. The... Um, uh, the cleaning Woody scene with Al. Yeah. I love that scene. It's just, there's something so satisfying about it with the opening of stuff and the cleaning. It's it, just, it, yeah. It makes me so satisfied. It does feel like it, it like it, it belongs on like whatever that subreddit is that like, is like oddly satisfying, like seeing like the paint go over his boot, even though it's a really sad moment when you see the paint painting over the, the Andy oh. on his shoe. Um, but I really, I really love the, you know, we sort of mentioned, you know, the, the eighties Don Bluth movies sort of tackling bigger, more complex issues. Uh, and the Disney Renaissance was sort of edging towards that, but in a lot of ways it was still, you know, a little bit more simplistic stories. Uh, Toy Story 2 for me as a kid, uh, really resonated strongly because I was sort of at that age 
where I was sort of starting to have my first, you know, baby's first existential crisis, I was, I was getting old enough to realize that one day I was going to die. And in a lot of ways that kind of freaked me out. Yes, Katie? You were one when this film came out. No, no, I didn't. I didn't see it at age one. Clearly, <laughs> I saw it on VHS several years later. I'm talking about my experience, Katie. Okay. At one years old, I was not contemplating my own mortality. Um, when I think when I you, was, I don't know. I was probably a messed up baby too, but I don't remember. <laughs> In any case, I think I was seven or eight when I first saw uh, Toy Story two on VHS, and like thing, things like that were starting to like you know kind of not in like a, a big way yet. I'd have I'd have to be in my early twenties before I really started getting terrified of all that stuff. Um, but I, it was it was definitely you know keeping me up at night a little bit. Um, and I thought Toy Story two had a had a, a, a possibly unappreciatedly complex and nuanced way of thinking about it. Um, which, you know, in, in I, I, I've seen people criticize that it's not, that it's a little bit simplistic because then that the message is sort of like, just enjoy life while you can. Like, yes, you're going to die one day, but like, it, not for a while. So enjoy it. Um, and I, I think, I, but I, I think that is what kids need to hear. I think, you know, maybe for an adults, there's more of a meaningful, you know, a meaning of life kind of vibe that you might want. But when you're a kid, that is kind of what you need to hear is that you just enjoy the ride. Like your life will not mean anything if you spend it all terrified that you're going to die. So enjoy your life with your friends, enjoy the time you have um, and, and, and find, find meaning in that. Um, Cause of course, uh, Woody, Woody's whole uh, fear in that movie is that, you know, he, he has his first brush with mortality. Essentially he gets a rip on his arm and fears that he will be thrown away because of it. Um, and and kind of begins to rec- uh, have to reconcile the fact that he is is a is a fallible creature and that he may his body will one day decay he will not be wanted by Andy uh, and he will he will die essentially um, and suddenly he has the opportunity to basically be put in a glass case and have immortality I think they use the word immortality um, and that's obviously very, something that the other characters he interacts with. Uh, really want they want the idea of being looked at and appreciated by other people uh, for all time uh, which is again you know when you're a kid that is and you're you know starting to be a little freaked out by death that sounds pretty great you know you're not going to be injured you're not going to you know get older you're not going to be you know worn down uh, you're just going to live forever um, but then of course the movie you know teaches you that that's not you know wait you, you might you might not have forever on earth but you should enjoy the time you have and that's that's what matters. So that resonated a lot for me. Uh, and of course, Jesse uh, as a character is a great addition to the franchise. Uh, she obviously stuck around for later Toy Story films. Great to have a, a female character uh, in this in in this franchise because uh, previously it was just kind of Bo Peep who didn't really do anything in the first one or the second one. I know she comes back in four, and I have feelings about that that we'll get to later. But uh, She's she uh, Jesse is, is a great fun female character who is not the love interest, which I appreciate that like she's just Woody's friend, uh, and there's really never you know despite the fact that it would be very easy I think to make like oh here's a cowgirl who's gonna be Woody's girlfriend, uh, and I think a lot of people who like haven't seen the franchise just kind of assume that she's his girlfriend, um, but that's not at all the characterization she's given. Uh, there's never really any implication they're anything but friends. Uh, and and l- later, of course, Jesse gets a thing with Buzz Lightyear, um, which is also never terribly explicit. But I like that for them. Good, good, good for her. Good for Jesse. You go, girl. Uh, and I like Bullseye. 
Bullseye's a fun friend. Bullseye's great. Bullseye's great. Uh, So that's Pixar. Uh, Katie, would you like to talk about the stop motion films of the 90s? Oh, I was going to give you a fun fact. Well, I'll hear the fun fact. To make up for all the uh, films I made you talk through alone. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I couldn't pronounce Woody when I was younger, and when I had a toy Woody. Um, Mm -hmm. So I called him Bloody. Woody. Oh, I love that. Woody. Yeah. He's still somewhere in my house also. I'm sure I could find him. Well, yeah, find, find, find him and, and, and bring him with you to record one day. I'm sure he'd love that. You can sit on the shelf that the, the fans can't see, but you can. <laughs> All right. Why, why don't you talk, tell us about stop motion, Katie? I know that that's much more up stop your alley. Motion, stop motion. Yay, okay, stop while motion. I look up, while I look up the other ones, we can talk about A Nightmare Before Christmas, which might... I'm trying to debate if it is my favorite film. I was trying to debate if animator all time. That's a tough debate. Let's just say all time. Well, then it goes up with Parasite, which I love dearly. Well, yeah, but we're a cartoon podcast. So like we have to like make the audience think that the only thing we care about is cartoons. So I think for for the sake of that, you have to, uh, you you have to. uh, You're going to have to go and bleep out the last like few seconds. I couldn't hear you. So. Oh, well. That's fine, then. Yeah. Okay. Nightmare Before Christmas. What a time. Is it a Christmas movie? Is it a Halloween movie? The world may never know. How many weeks did it take to get to the center of Tootsie Pop? I think the answer is yes. It is both a Halloween movie and a Christmas movie, and you can watch it for different reasons at different times of year. Like, my enjoyment of the movie is equal but different, uh, depending on on what uh, what time of year I'm watching it. I watch it on Halloween. I'm like, ooh, spooky vibes. And I watch it on Christmas. Like, oh, they bring holiday cheer. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so much fun. And also so well made. <laughs> I mean, talk about movies that still hold up today, you know, yeah. even despite it being an early 90s creation. Um, I think the stop motion work absolutely looks fluid and creative and textured uh i mean there's a reason it's still incredibly popular today it it stands the test of time and then some yeah and i mean we we've talked stop motion a little bit here and there um because it is a it is animated but kind of like animation adjacent so we we really could dedicate a lot onto the history of animated film coming from in some ways puppeteering and, oh, yeah. like, light shows, um, like, lantern shows. Um, so there aren't, there are a good number of big ones, but I would say Nightmare Before Christmas is probably one of the biggest and most well-known. Well, wasn't it the first uh, feature-length stop-motion film? Or certainly American one. Maybe there was a... I believe it would likely, it could, it would be dependent on how we define stop-motion, probably. And probably how we define feature length as well. Um, and I think there could be ones probably in the Czech Republic, most likely. That wouldn't surprise me. Actually, the first one's from 1925, apparently. Oh, interesting. I mean, extensive use, so it's not, like, entirely. But it was 1925's Lost World. Oh, wait, but The Lost World isn't fully stop motion, is it? Is yeah, it was extensive, so that's not fully, I was... Yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've frequently seen it described as the the first, um, uh, the the first uh, 
fe- uh, first feature length uh, stop motion film, but that, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of things get described as the first and then there's, you know, lots of, lots of different, uh, I don't know, other films that, that become exceptions. Um, but it's, uh, it, it is certainly great. It, it, it might, um, it, oh, I see it was the, it was the first animated film that was nominated for uh, best visual effects at the Academy Awards. Uh, which is is certainly an achievement for animation um, that rarely happens, um, and then sometimes it's happened when it's not deserved. Um, but yeah, what 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 a quality movie, um, and and certainly uh, was a big part of Tim Burton's aesthetic and later career. Obviously, he was already famous with other movies he'd made in the, in the eighties and early nineties, like uh, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, uh, Beetlejuice. Uh, so it wasn't like he was an unknown. And of course, he only produced the movie. Uh, cannot cannot stress enough that it was Henry Selick who directed it, uh, not Tim yeah. Burton, because it's uh, it's unfair that how how little credit he gets and how much credit is given to Tim Burton, who you know he gave it certainly gave it the visual style. He came up with the story. He was in charge of early development. It's not to say that he didn't work hard on it, uh, which is also a misconception. I think I see. I think I see it swinging in two ways. I see Tim Burton made this movie and. Tim Burton had nothing to do with the movie, neither of which are correct. The, the true answer is somewhere in the middle ground. Um, and apparently he was also just awful to work with. So there, there's oh, that. <laughs> we can do a whole different episode on how Tim Burton is a terrible man. <laughs> which maybe we will do at some point because he has contributed quite a bit to animation. He's um, contributed and there are things and we will not get into them now because there are negatives to this film. And there are very many negatives to Tim Burton's works. Um, we will not get into them because I don't like to ruin my childhood. No, I mean, film. yeah, it is incredibly iconic. I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, you know, I, I, I think it wasn't a huge commercial success at the time. And I think it sort of had to develop a little bit of a cult following over the years. Um, but certainly in the year of our Lord 2021, it is uh, p- possibly uh, Disney's biggest Christmas movie um it's you know they you see it in their theme parks every year they make a huge a huge nightmare push uh there's all kinds of products out there with all these characters on it uh it's a huge huge juggernaut for disney i think it is a great example of a also for talking about those films that gain cult followings and then become mainstays because um, as we were saying, it was it was mediocrely successful, but it definitely had a very strong core base, probably helped by the 2000s uh, emo kids. Oh my god, like, I, I don't have any proof of this, but I feel like Hot Topic saved Nightmare Before Christmas from the like, But I, like, I can't say a lot because I, in my, again, something the fans cannot see, but Scarlet Gan, in my uh, chest of dice for playing D&D... Uh, is a set of the Oogie Boogie Dice. You have Oogie Boogie Dice? How have I, I not from Hot Topic. <gasps> oh, they're great. They're, I exclusively use them for our uh, social media person's campaign, uh, in which I play a werewolf. How have I not known this yet? Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, I, I love, I love, I love that them. so much for you. And it's one of those things where I went, mm, <laughs> damn it, Hot Topic, you win this round. It's hot topic. It you know it's mm-hmm. it, you can't you can't beat hot topic. You cannot beat hot topic. Um, um, but we did then get James and the Giant Peach, which is concerning looking. I love James and the Giant Peach. Shut up. 
I didn't say anything about the story. I the anime, the stylization is scary looking in some aspects. Perhaps, but I really like it. <laughs> I, I have seen it. I enjoyed it. The spider scares me. Okay, the spider is kind of scary. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. It is. It is. And that is what has burned into my memory from this film. But I like I like the songs a little. I mean, it's okay. It's hard to say because like I don't think I remember many of the songs, but I I remember enjoying them. I love a lot a, a lot of oh, you're bopping. Do you have or do you have one stuck in your head? No, I have. This is Halloween. No, man. <laughs> okay. Um. But uh. Yeah. I I I really appreciate the visual style. This was another Henry Stellick movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh... It, you can see the relations in the style a little bit. Yeah, doesn't Jack Skellington show up at one point? Like, he, like he's a skeleton pirate in it, I believe. I want to say that's true, but I'm not gonna... I think they, I mean, it's not actually him. I think they just used the same model, because, by God, stop-motion work takes so, many, so much time, I cannot begrudge them for wanting to use the same model from their previous movie. <laughs> and that's why I love it. We could... There are some... in. We're talking... This is the beginnings of it, like true great stop motion animation in the 90s there's not a lot mm, it's um, mostly those two really right it's those two you have wallace and gromit at oh, this right, time wrong trousers was in the 90s mm -hmm. <gasps> I and love you Ron also Ron have gumby oh i never liked gumby <laughs> i had a gumby toy of i like i did too i didn't have I'm a gumby toy like my mother it. had a gumby toy <laughs> Yeah, I, I had a Gumby uh, who I, I enjoyed playing with, but I never liked any any actual Gumby Gumby shows or, or movies. Wallace and Gromit is also like a good, um, I think, nostalgia blanket. It's it's hard to dislike Wallace and Gromit. Well, man, it, we forgot the crackers. We forgot the crackers. Oh, beautiful, 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 beautiful. Um, that really wraps up stop motion. We get some incredible stop motion in the next 20 years, though, because of these films. That in our, the when, when we get into our next era, we will we will have some of that. Um, we'll ha we might have to do a whole solo episode on, like, the first film in the next era for stop motion. Because we have <laughs> uh, one friend who is obsessed with it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... We, 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 we love the, the stop motion here on this show. We haven't talked enough about stop motion, I don't think. But we, we, really we should talk it. more about stop motion eventually. It's just, it's such an incredible art form. And vision in general, I think. Our audience probably knows well. It is a labor of love. And, and, and stop with, with computer animation, so most. <laughs> getting less. But yeah, because you gotta be super talented for stop motion. They're so malleable and patient. It like, takes a decade to make a stop motion film. Right. It ta it takes so long, and I think you never fully know the like how how it's going to be received. It's not a sure shot in the same way as other animated films are. I think every time a stop motion film comes out, it's always going to be seen as a little bit niche. Um, and that's a shame because I think they're they're because so much love has to go into it. You don't see any real, you don't really see any cash grab stop motion movies. Like every stop motion movie is made by people who really wanted to make that movie because otherwise they would not devote that much of their life to making it happen. Yeah, and maybe that's why when we think about stop motion, there's not a lot of stop motion that doesn't stand up well to the test of time. 
I don't love Chicken Run from the from the next. Uh, that's not till the early two thousands, and you're giving me a look, but I I don't get the I I don't get the obsession with Chicken Run. <laughs> I know I know that might just be me. Um, but but overall, you can still like look at it and go, like these films and go, oh my god, they're so well made and they stand up. Oh, absolutely. In terms absolutely. of that, like the story might not be your cup of tea. It might not have done well commercially, but you can tell the effort. Uh, uh, but we should move on before we go on. We should move on because uh, there, there's another animated studio that we cannot uh, move past without mentioning, uh, and that's DreamWorks, uh, which comes about in this era. Uh, you know, DreamWorks. it's DreamWorks, uh, the company that came about because Disney president uh, Jeffrey Kassenberg uh, got into a huge fight with uh, Michael Eisner and decided to leave the Disney company basically in the dead of night, stealing all their ideas and starting his own company, uh, which amazing, kind of amazing. Seems like a jerk. He was he was the guy from that aforementioned uh, feud with Robin Williams, who did not listen to Robin Williams's request and was generally a jerk. And Robin Williams hated him until the day he died. <laughs> but uh, he, he was not terribly known as, as a nice guy, had some serious beef with Disney. Uh, and went out to to make his rival studio, uh, the first film, animated film of which was Ants, uh, because that came out at the same time as A Bug's Life, and they were really determined to do Ants. A Bug's Life. Ants with a Z. Um, I remember it now. Yeah, do you see it? No. I just remember the, like, pictures for it. You know what? I see on my screen that it has a, has a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. And I don't understand that because I really did not like this movie. I It had a lot of like weirdly adult humor. It stars Woody Allen and just kind of has Woody Allen energy humor. Uh, actually had a really big uh, uh, celebrity cast. Uh, yeah, Woody Allen, Gene Hackman, Sharon Stone, Sylvester Stallone, Jennifer Lopez, Christopher Walken, Danny Glover, Anne Bancroft, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, yeah, just a, a generally... Man. Yeah, big, big. They were really trying to beat Pixar. They were, they really wanted to beat Pixar by doing basically the exact same movie as A Bug's Life. Um, but I found it a lot less charming. Uh, and, uh, you know, in what would become a running motif in DreamWorks movies, uh, it's a lot more cynical than movies that were being put out by Disney and Pixar. Uh, it definitely had more of an edge, you know, a lot of, a lot more, you know, wisecracking pop culture references than, uh, Bugs Life had, and as a result, I think it's aged poorly. I mean, I I saw it obviously. I think what was it came out in like '98, um, so mm -hmm. I had just been born, or I think I might not even been born yet. So obviously, I didn't see it when it came out. I saw it many years later. Uh, I think maybe I was even like in middle school or high school, um, and even I remember like thinking, like, "Wow, like a lot of this feels very dated," um, and it's just a very Woody Allen, you know, mid '90s kind of style of humor. Uh, which I don't think is resonating much for kids. I think maybe the reason that it was very well received is because Bugs Life itself wasn't particularly great or well received. Um, and it was, you know, seen as sort of the more adult alternative. Uh, and I think maybe people after, you know, many years of the Disney Renaissance were, you know, kind of getting sick of that more earnest, sincere kind of movie, uh, which, you know, is valid, but I don't know. I've never gotten the love for ants. If you really love ants, uh, reach out to us on, on Instagram or Twitter and Tell us why you love ants. Um, I'm genuinely curious. I've never heard of anyone who's ride or die for ants. <laughs> and admittedly, I've never heard anyone who's ride or die for Bugs Life either. 
um, which, you know, but I, for its money, I'd rather watch Bugs Life than Ants. Um, l- luckily, uh, and this is this, speak, speaking of ants and that, remember that locust seed that I, pa- I planted before? Here's where it comes back. Now I get it. did make one great movie in the 90s, arguably one that's better than many, if not, well, you know, many, probably not all, but many of the, the Disney Renaissance movies of the, of the decade, uh, Prince of Egypt. Another mandatory viewing in Hebrew school. I was going to ask, how many times did you watch this film because of Hebrew school? Honestly, between Prince of Egypt and American Tale, this was like 90% of my Hebrew education. Did <laughs> um, teach you Hebrew? Uh, no. The, the, I mean, the answer is they tried, but I'm bad at language, so effectively no. That's um, true. You did have a hard time in Spanish in college. I, absolutely. I, I still, still don't know Spanish. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Prince of Egypt, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, is a, a retelling of the the Exodus story of the Bible uh, and the Torah, uh, essentially the Passover story, uh, and it is a really it's a, it's two D compared to to ants, which was three D, uh, and uh, Prince of Egypt I think is one of the one of the most gorgeous two uh, uh, D animated films and just animated films in general I've ever seen. Uh, it's one of those one of those late nineties two uh, D animated movies that really makes me makes me feel sad that pretty soon after this 3d animation uh became the the go-to for all the major studios because if this was what 1999 was bringing us in uh 2d animation just imagine what it would look like now if we'd allowed it to to continue to progress as it as it could have um so that's that's a kind of a shame um but Yeah. yeah yeah but still really really great film um a lot of a lot of heart you know of you know it's it's easy i think to you know obviously the story of exodus has been told many many times over in live action film uh but i think it's never been you know it's it's easy to make it very grandiose and very religious and very impressive um but what really strikes me about prince of egypt and i think maybe just because it was an animated movie it was able to do this uh, you really feel for these characters. You really sympathize with them in a very human way. Um, this is obviously not the first of the, uh, you know, the, the uh, Ten Commandments style story to portray Ramses and Moses as brothers, but it is the only one that I've seen where you really feel the tragedy of them being split apart. Um, and obviously as a Jew, it's not easy for me to sympathize with the Egyptians. They got, you gotta work for it a little bit, but I do. I when 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 Ramses is has to bury his his son who was killed because of the plagues that Moses rains down upon Egypt, uh, you really you feel for both of them. You you really wish that there had been another way and that in a different world they would have been able to stay brothers and you know find a way to love each other. Um, but that's obviously the tragedy of, of this story is that they can't. Uh, it really humanizes it and brings it down to a very personal level that I think no other retelling of the story has fully done. I think this is the best telling of the story and probably why they showed it to us most of the time in Hebrew school instead of some of the other versions. So thank thank you, uh, Jewish education. You showed me two great Jewish movies (laughs) in animation form uh, and pricked pretty much nothing else. (laughs) So yeah, so that's that's DreamWorks. Um, And now to to finish up, we have have the, the sort of sporadic uh, non-Disney, non-DreamWorks, uh, little bits of movies that were, were coming out from various studios that were also very impressive in the 90s and we don't want to leave off. Um, 
first of all, check back in with Don Bluth as promised. Uh, not great, Bob. Uh, I don't know what exactly happened in the 90s. I think there's like, I've seen charts out there that show like the inverse quality of Don Bluth movies of the 80s and 90s compared to Disney. Seems like whenever Disney is doing really well, Don Bluth is doing badly and vice versa. Um, because the Don Bluth movies of the 90s are Thumbelina, uh, Troll in Central Park, uh, Anastasia, which a lot of people still really like, but it's definitely a, a weaker, a weaker film. Um, and, and just a ge generally a Pebble and the Penguin, uh, which I have not seen, but I've heard bad things about. Uh, Troll in Central Park as a child, remember it being the first movie I remember hating. And I was like five. I remember that it just, it struck me as so unbelievably saccharine and nonsensical. And I just, I hated all the characters so much. Like it was even like a joke in my family. Like I, I think I, I think I at some point I asked them to like throw out the VHS because I just didn't even want it in my house anymore. I hated it so badly. Um, so, which I, in, in hindsight, looking back and being like, this movie was made by the same guy who made American Tale, Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Like what happened, my guy? Um, and then, of course, Don Bluth didn't actually do much after the 90s, so I, I don't know what was going on with him. Um, you know, obviously, you know, some people, you make good movies, you make bad movies, but it is, it's a really weirdly precipitous drop uh, to go from arguably some of the greatest animated movies of all time to pretty much some of the worst. I mean, I, you know, I, I suppose it's a little unfair, because uh, there's definitely been some real, especially CG movies, there's been in the past 10 years or so, there's been some real stinkers but it's it's a there's these are bad movies overall I remember Thumbelina really hating as a kid as well um there's another really saccharine movie with a really uh weak main female character who does literally nothing but sit around and wait for her prince to come uh which is such a weird contrast to the the other much more empowered uh, dynamic uh, heroines of this era, you know, feels a lot like something that would have been written in the 50s or not even. I mean, it's, she has, Slumbelina has less agency than Sleeping Beauty and Sleeping Beauty is asleep for half of her movie. So not not a fan of what Don Bluth was doing then. Um, but luckily uh, there were there were some other uh, really great uh, movies coming out of, of the 90s. Uh, I, can't, I can't not mention uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, which is is actually a Disney movie, um, but I didn't want to include it under the main Disney movies because it also includes uh, uh, animated characters from all other uh, animated canon. Uh, but you you like you like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right, Katie? I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? Oh, I thought I thought you'd seen that one. I don't think I have in full. Well, you should. You you would really like that one. Uh, that's a a great blend of live action and animation. Uh, it's beloved of my father, uh, actually. Um, it's where it's, we've got you know, Jessica Rabbit, who is wonderful and sexy and it's not bad, just drawn that way. Um, you know, another another um, moment of, of really expanding uh, the, the the canon. Um, and actually, well, I, I actually I did that. That was actually a late eighties movie. So should, should have brought it up earlier, but I'm bringing it up now, so. It, it it counts. I didn't. I was. I wasn't late. You're late. <laughs> uh, but uh, this was also uh, in terms of Warner Brothers. Uh, we get uh, Batman: Mask of the Phantasm, uh, the greatest Batman movie of all time. Do not at me. I don't care that it's animated. It is the best Batman movie. 
uh, next time we'll when we talk about uh, television animation we'll talk about the animated series uh, and go into a little more detail there um, but that that was uh, just such such wonderful quality um, uh, we also got the South Park movie uh, in the 90s uh, some adult animation beginning to to take root and take form um, Fun fact, uh, the South Park movie was originally uh, slated to be called All Hell Breaks Loose, um, but the censors at the time would not allow the word hell to be in the movie title, um, which I think is, uh, is, is still the case today. I think you might have to, I think you might have to, like add something to the word hell or like little hell or something. I, I think there's some rules around it. Uh, and they changed it to bigger, longer and uncut, which is objectively worse. <laughs> but the censors allowed it uh, anyway, even though it's definitely more inappropriate for children to have in your title. Um, that actually, it, another interesting story about that is it came out the same uh, weekend or around the same time as the film Wild Wild West, um, and which was not a very good movie, um, but did much better at the box office than South Park. And for a while they couldn't figure out why until they realized Wild Wild West was PG-13 and South Park movie was rated R and all the children were buying tickets to Wild Wild West and sneaking into the South Park movie. <laughs> so way, way to go kids, you single-handedly started piracy, uh, 90s style. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, of South Park, especially earlier South Park. Um, and, you know, this was, like, you know, beginning the trend, which had been more started in the TV sphere, but was slowly going to uh, seep into the films as well of adult animation uh, rising in popularity, uh, which trend which would obviously continue um, from from the 90s more into the into the 2000s. Um, and then uh, it, to 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 finish us off, uh, I'm sure we have it there. There are some animated movies we haven't talked about of this era because there were so many and I'm sorry, but we just can't get to all of them. Uh, even in, in this long episode, uh, the iron giant, uh, which is another, another beloved one of me and another sort of in the Prince of Egypt vein of if this is what we could do with two, uh, you know, 1999 animation, uh, it's a real shame that we couldn't progress this, uh, into into the the 2000s more but the rise of cg was just too strong uh it's a brad bird film uh who would later go on to direct the incredibles uh and just generally be a big big name in animation uh katie have you seen the iron giant again i think i have seen this one my memory not great you would love it um it's a cold war era film uh it, where it takes place in, in the cold war era um with a, a little boy who befriends a, a space robot who's designed to destroy Earth, but instead he befriends him. And it's kind of like an, an E.T. story in that way. Uh, and it's it's another one that just makes me sob every single time. Um, and, and then he comes, then it's okay. He comes back in Ready Player One. So everything is fine. <laughs> Hate that. <laughs> uh, it's a great film. Uh, if you haven't seen it out there, I think Iron Giant is, is definitely one of the less talked about great movies of the 90s because I think you know the the Disney movies do kind of supplant that era and everyone mostly talks about those um but Iron Giant is is one of the great 90s movies so you should go out, go out and see that one um but yeah I think I think that probably does it for animated animated movies of the Renaissance wanna, era, 80s and 90s that's a lot uh, like I want to like, hit on one other thing though yes. is in the 80s we mostly were talking about um, U.S.-based films, but I think in the 80s and 90s, you can't miss that this is when Studio Ghibli started. That is true. 
and released We're keeping it honest with the with the foreign movies, Katie. Thank you. And released a lot of really good films. I will just read off of them and note a couple of the big ones. Castle in the Sky is their first in '86. Then you get Grave of Fireflies, which well, I, I haven't built the will to watch. <laughs> um, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Only Yesterday, another 100% one. Uh, Porco wow. Rosso, Ocean Waves, uh, Pompoco, Whispers of the Heart, Princess Mononoke, a film that has scarred me to this day. <laughs> um, and My Neighbors, the Yamadas. You also have Akira, which is by a different studio coming out at this time. So this is really, I think, the first major wave of um, Japanese films coming to the U.S. And influential for a lot of films that come later. Yeah, I'd say so, and yeah. several of these are considered some of the greatest. Not, we haven't gone into some of the big ones, but Grave of Fireflies and Only Yesterday are considered some of the best animated films of all time. Yeah, I mean, I haven't... Uh... I would be honest, I really haven't seen much, much Studio Ghibli. I am working on it. Um, but this is why I'm thankful to have you around, Katie, because when I'm focusing more on the American stuff, you always remind us that no no, mat no matter what we dumb Americans think, we are not the only people in the world. And there are a lot of other great, great works that are being made from, from stu uh, studios overseas and artists overseas. Maybe you could help me watch Princess Mononoke again. I haven't seen it since I was like eight. Again, I, I saw it so recently. Um, I've seen some recently. It's, it's quite good. <laughs> I know it's good, but when you're eight, the oh, pink scene gets you. It is PG-13. <laughs> but the pink scene, terrifying. Oh, I don't yeah. like it. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of the visuals in that movie are, are pretty, pretty utterly horrifying if you're not prepared and emotionally old enough to, to handle it. Um, as Katie alluded to earlier, we are going to hold off on discussing TV uh, animation of the 80s and 90s until next time, uh, because this is is too too much for what This is already a very long episode, um, just talking about the films. Uh, the Renaissance era was, as you can tell, is just such a huge boom in animation, just on all fronts. Um, so we will we will not uh, we we will not try to condense it all into one episode. We can't. I gotta go. <laughs> I, I do as well. So we will we will <laughs> pop back into our cartoon time machine, but we will not go anywhere. We will keep the time machine in this era in the 80s and 90s until next time. We're just gonna play a card game. Yeah, and that's what we by, do. In this, by that in this I mean D &D. <laughs> Right. In this world that we've created where we just live in this time machine until we go to various eras. Um, that's just what we do. We just sit inside our time machine. Um, which is not like the TARDIS. It's not actually larger on the inside. It's just like- No, it's very cramped It's here. very cramped in there. Um, it's really hard to cut our toenails. Um, Scarlet's actually claustrophobic. Ho, oh, it's, ho, it's, ho. Th this is This is hell for me. Um, <laughs> what, what we what we have done is is just hell. I like that we're building up the lore of our of our podcast. I I appreciate that. We're just gonna we're gonna turn into Nightmare eventually. We're just gonna give up like talking about cartoons and we're just gonna like go into the lore of, of these two character versions of ourselves we've created. And I'm gonna keep referencing SpongeBob. You're stepping in the potato salad that took three days to make. Three days. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll cut it off there, and we'll we'll see what happens on the next episode. Uh, I am Scarlet. I'm Katie. We're your animates. We will see you next time. <laughs>